0: Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network.
1: This is Stephen Hayden, author of Twilight of the Gods, A Journey to the End of Classic Rock, and you are listening to Rock and Roll Archaeology.
2: Pantheon Podcasts presents Deeper Digs in Rock, part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Music, Culture technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Hello, Diggers.
0: Welcome to another edition of Deeper Digs in Rock. The rock and roll archaeologist, Christian Swain here, and I am behind the mic in San Francisco today. All right, let's give you this week's news. Uh, Well, I got a chance to meet up with uh, Pamela DeBar. Uh, Both Pamela DeBar, uh, our host of Miss Pamela's Pajama Party, and one half of our muses uh Chantal Lemieux uh in Las Vegas. We we had a great time. Uh a little dinner, a little dancing, a little pool time. Uh, yeah, I can dance. Uh yeah, I can I I, I think I can uh, uh cut a rug, they say. All right, all right. Uh it was fun. It was great. Make sure you listen to both their shows, please. All right, we had our best month ever in April. Uh, With the most listeners that it it was really incredible. Um, You guys really stepped up. You must be telling a ton of people um, because the numbers just shot up um, by a huge amount. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you are literally telling lots of friends, and we really appreciate it. Please, please keep it up. Uh, it's hard to, you know, get noticed these days in podcast world. Uh, word of the mouth is by far the best way to grow. So your credibility is of serious worth, and we recognize that fact. Again, we are humbled by your love for these rock and roll stories. Obviously, getting a new Rock and Roll Archaeology podcast episode out was a big help. We're so glad uh, to have gotten this one done and out, and it sure seems like everybody is really enjoying it. Uh, Just another reminder that all the shows can be found in The Big Pipe, the musical magazine, as we like to say, and they are also now available in their own podcast feeds. And we are actively looking into adding even more rock and roll oriented shows to our network. Uh, Yes, we are growing and growing. Keep listening. We'll have some uh, interesting surprises here for you very, very shortly. So uh, lots of great stuff going on here at Pantheon Podcasts. I am a happy man. Thank you again. Okay, let's get to the show and meet this week's special guest. interviewing all these people. We've had rock stars, authors, photographers, tour managers, producers, engineers, and songwriters. We've spoken to people all around the world. We are really trying to capture all facets of the rock and roll game from the 20th century and even a few from this new century. And this is just one of our shows doing exactly that. All angles and as much first person as possible. We are a little like quality journalism and modern historians trying to do the same thing, but in granularity. So from the top to the bottom, uh, we want to get as close to the full story of these amazing times, the music that was created during it and the culture as it all wove together and evolved for a good 50 plus year run. Another group of folks are those that are a part of the story um, inadvertently, or from a distance, or only for a moment. This episode, we have for you Greg Pretorius, who today is the Vice President of Marketing for Signature Bank. Uh, Doesn't sound very rock and roll, now does it? Well, like many professionals today, in a weird sort of superhero way, by day Greg is a mild-mannered banker... Yet at night, he's a rock and roll fiend. Eh, now, maybe less of a fiend today, but you get the point. Now, that certainly wasn't the case back in the day. There were pretty much either hipsters or squares, and rarely did those tribes intermix. Well, our friend Greg used to be a full-time rock and roller as a production manager, promoter, tour manager in the Northeast of America. And he's written a book of all of his tales called Babysitting a Band on the Rocks and Other Adventures with Aerosmith, ACDC, Van Halen, Pink Floyd, yes, Richie Blackmore, Jethro Tull, Billy Joel, Keith Richards, Motley Crue, Twisted Sister, Pretenders, and the Ramones. Woo! Woo! That's a mouthful, but it's certainly the case with Greg's stories working with each of these famous or uh, infamous acts. Most are in a very professional manner with stories of how to put on a great rock and roll show and how pro these acts are out on the road, even where a lot of their ruckus, crazy, wild image is not how things are backstage until the lights go down. And then there are other times, especially when a band is on the downside. Uh, Think about it. Rarely does an act stay at the top for long. And even then, we've already told plenty of stories where the inevitable fall is coming. And like a giant, the harder they come, well, you get the idea. Greg spent some time with Aerosmith when the band was at its nadir, uh, not long after Joe Perry left and the remaining Boston boys were desperately trying to keep it together. Well, during that time, Greg was one of their handlers. Um, good times. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) right in the nuts. All right, (laughs) let's get to it and meet Greg Pretorius. Welcome to Deeper Digs in Rock, Greg Pretorius. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm
3: great. How are you, Christian?
0: Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's a wonderful day here out in California. I think you're on the East Coast. You've you got to be in Long Island, right? Well, right now I'm
3: actually sitting in Manhattan, and, and the weather is uh, just terrible April weather like we have every year. Rainy, right. cloudy, right. Uh-huh. sort of cold, not warm. Yuck.
0: <laughs> I, I question people all the time. When you've been to California, why would you live anywhere else? I don't understand. You got me. But, the only yeah. reason I'm here is because of
3: family. Right, I'd, be, right, I'd be out right. with
0: you in a heartbeat. Right, right. Okay, so first question i got to ask is what's the last concert you went to to see and paid for?
3: Ha! Very funny. That happened to be Monday night, and my son
0: took me to see Muse at Madison Square Garden. Okay, at MSG. Right. Oh, what did you think of Muse? yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Uh, you know what? I I liked Muse. I haven't had any of their records. Uh, I still buy CDs when I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know enough of the songs. It was great. It was a rock and roll extravaganza of the old school. Yeah, it is. Uh, isn't it? Yeah, that's Muse. Yeah, just a, a about little every bit of effect. Queen, a
0: little bit of uh, Zeppelin, a little bit of this, a li- very classic rock kind of updated a bit uh, as a three piece. Uh, even I, I guess yeah, even a little sure. bit of Rush in there too, because there's like a prog. Well,
3: you know, that's too. what I kind of. I kind of see them as the, uh, the heirs to, to rush in a way, you know, yeah. um, though I think the music may be a little mo- more diverse than Russians with, but it was quite the extravaganza. There was smoke, there was bombs, there was yeah. confetti. Yeah. There were, there were, you know, the lasers and, you know, they only kind of lost me towards the end when they brought out a big inflatable monster that was a little too Iron Maiden-ish
0: <laughs> for me. <but. laughs> uh you know, just, you got to build on the past, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But conversely about 3 weeks ago I went to see um Everlast at a small theater that's in my town and he was he was fabulous.
0: Yeah, I think uh, uh let's see who's the 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 lead of Everlast is um Oh geez, what's his name? Oh yeah, I don't know what his
3: real name is. He goes by Everlast. No, oh. It, he, he's oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, Ever, Everlast. is a guy that had the song like uh, what it's what it uh, yeah, uh, what it's like to walk in my shoes right, and yeah, yeah, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. 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 kind of like a white rapper that kind of went hokey He's very that, good.
1: That's
0: that's right. So a little a little more intimate than the big um, exploded uh, kiss like uh, muse uh, yes. sort of show yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I get that. So, oh, well, two shows. So you're still going to lots of shows.
3: Yeah, whenever I can, you know, maybe five, six, seven times a year, you know, about as much as I play golf.
0: Oh, there you go. Well, uh, that tells me all I need to know about your golf game.
3: Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) So how does a vice president of marketing of a bank, uh, which is who you are now, uh, get into the rock and roll business?
3: Well, I mean, you know, when I was in the rock and roll business, I was in my uh, late teens and 20s. Yeah, and. and it was for uh, a short
0: period of time. It was. I, I, it I was think like it, about six years. Yeah, six I was
3: years, in the thick yeah. of it for about six years, and I was going to college during that time, too, but I was kind of. You know, part of, half of my college career, I was working full time in the business while I was going to college. So, um, as you can see, I you know I produced like just about 200 shows, and uh, college was sort of the afterthought, if you know what I mean. You know, um, but it was a very conscious decision to make. Um, uh, my sister turned me on to the Beatles and and the Stones and stuff. My brother came home from college with Jethro Tull and all kinds of other psychedelic bands in the late 60s. And I just said, wow, I love this. And uh, as I got older, I hung out with a bunch of guys who were musically inclined, and I became their roadie and sort of their manager, getting them gigs and stuff, and... uh, then I went to Hofstra University, which had a wonderful concert program. I mean, it was almost on a professional level. Wow. And that's really why I went to the school, you know, uh, because I said, wow, they have a great concert program. I want to learn that business. Uh, even though it was an extracurricular activity, you know, again, it was, it was just a great learning experience. Um, and we, we probably did, you know, 20, 30 shows a year for a concert committee, you know, which was a lot.
0: Yeah, okay. Now you, you, you ran a lot of things out here. I'm going to unpack some of that. So first, of all, okay the band the garage band that you started managing was called the delta t's right yes delta yeah. t the, the delta t that's right not 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 the plural form um and uh so so that was your first kind of experience in the music business was uh was uh, trying to get gigs for uh, for uh, a couple of uh, high school buddies that you knew right yeah, for,
3: for sure, for sure, yeah, And as uh, well as humping their equipment and uh, oh, all kinds yeah, of yeah. things. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, so you, you were jack-of-all-trades. You were roadie, you were a sound guy, I bet, and, uh, and manager. Yeah,
3: just about it all.
0: Oh, so, so you, you, you had some experience even before you got to Hofstra. Yeah,
3: yeah, not really good experience. I didn't make any money at it, but <laughs> but uh, I had some free training. But, you know, going to hostel was was great because, you know, I mean, essentially, you know, I jumped into the big leagues, you know. Um and uh not the majors, but let's call it triple A ball if right, you will. Right. Um and uh you know, got to work with a lot of great acts and uh you know, kept my ears open, kept my eyes open and learned a lot of things and um I Ended up going professional uh, because we worked at a venue that um, we did a concert show at a professional venue, and the guy, the uh, professional promoter who ran that venue, said, "Hey, I want you on my team." So I ended up on his, you know, stage crew and worked my way up quickly to production manager, and you know, the rest was uh, a fast forward of four years of tons of shows and crazy times.
0: Yeah. Now, I think that's the uh, Calderon Concert uh, Hall. Is that right?
3: Yeah. The Calderon Concert Hall on on Long Island. Yeah. Yeah. Calderon Concert Hall. Well,
0: let me take you back, because like so many others, uh, the book mentions this moment in time that I read over and over and over again. And that is February 9th, 1964. Uh, you, uh, like so many others, were part of the 70 million Americans who bought yep. the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, and that really changed your life. Oh, for sure, for sure. I was
3: only six years six old. Six years old, right, I, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. But as I say in the book, you know, my brother and I look at each other and we see these like a thousand girls, two thousand girls, whatever, screaming at this, you know, and we're like, hey, that's pretty cool. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, how do you do that? Right. How right. do we do that? Yeah.
3: You know, yeah. so obviously we didn't jump right in and it was an evolution, you know, but yeah. uh, but I just grew from there to, you know, just love rock more and more. It just, you know, it spoke to me. It spoke yeah. to me and I yeah. wanted to be involved.
1: Yeah.
0: And, uh, you know, your sister introduced you to the Beatles. She had all the early Beatles albums. It sounds yep. like she grew out of them as they kind of got more and more psychedelic. Uh, but yeah. your older brother uh, also brought home uh, quite a few uh, uh, bands that you picked up and listened to and that you uh, you know would put on the record player. But one seemed to s- kind of stick out a little of the, uh, more of the, than the others, and you kind of took them on as your, what appears to be your first, like, real rock band that was yours, and that's Jethro Tull.
3: Oh, no question about it. No question about it. My brother, my brother um, he'll kill me for saying this, but uh, before, he, before he went to college or when he came home his first semester, my brother was very, very heavy, and he locked himself in the room and ate oranges, Okay, of all things, to lose weight, and he just he, he played Jethro Tull's Fat Man over and over and over again. I I, I don't know for inspiration or, or motivation, or right, right, motivation, right. Yeah. you know. But it worked. It worked. Yeah. He dropped almost a hundred pounds, and but
0: meanwhile introduced me to Jethro Tull and
3: made me a believer, you know. Yeah.
0: So yeah, yeah what was it about uh, the the Tull? That spoke to you as opposed to many of the other bands that you were listening to.
3: Well, you know, I don't know. You know, it's uh, I I I consider myself a fairly literary guy. You know, oh, wow. uh, I read a lot, and uh, I wouldn't go so far as to call myself an intellectual. Let's not get carried away. <laughs> but 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 I really liked you know the depth. Of Ian's lyrics, yeah. and sometimes the fact that they were obtuse, you know, and I'd have to really, you know, look at think them. And about, think about what, yeah, the what the hell what is he, he trying, trying to tell to stay me? There, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, some people. Now, it's not to say I don't love, you know, great straightforward songs like some, you know, Stone stuff or you know, uh, you know, girl guy songs and stuff like that. But, but that uh, he just, you know, it just connected with me. And uh, you know, one song after the other, I just really liked where he was going. You know, uh, even though he tended to be not particularly happy. You know, uh, he was uh, uh, somewhat cynical. Uh, well, even more than somewhat, I would say, but but I liked them. He was my guy, you know. It was my band. I like the sound. I'm also like a sucker for like medieval type stuff. That's why I ended up liking Richie Blackmore's Blackmore Night project so much too. But. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. Because of uh, you know both of them harken back to the old minstrel era of yeah. uh, of, of the Renaissance or the the traveling uh, minstrel yes. of of European uh, heritage. And I mean, come on, uh, uh, Ian Anderson, you know. Uh, it, Evoked that in costume uh, as well, which which oh, sure. I, I, I want you to take a minute uh, to to give us a little story from the book, which is you meeting uh, in Anderson um, backstage. Now, what I found really interesting is that yeah, you know, he he comes out and he has this whole shtick going on. Uh, of this the traveling uh, medieval minstrel and uh, and yet when you go backstage he he's completely changed uh into his more comfortable look uh and then you take it from there yeah
3: so uh so anyway we you know i went to the show with uh i guess i was hmm in my 20s at the time, and my wife's, I had turned my wife's younger brothers, who were then, I guess, in their teens, uh, onto Jethro Tull, and they were big, you know, tall heads too, or whatever you call us. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had about five or six of them with me that I had taken. My, my wife was still in the, I had been out of the business at that point, my wife was still in it, and as a the promoter, they had like a half share of the show. So we had great tickets and backstage passes she was up in albany doing some other show maybe a rush or something like that and uh so i take the kids and i go we're gonna go backstage and, and meet the band so everybody's all excited it's all great so we're walking down the hallway which leads to the locker rooms in nassau coliseum it's all cinder block you know that kind of thing we see where the, the uh, room is where the band is because they're kind of doing meet and greets and i knock on the door and they let us in and there's ian and martin Barr standing there so you know we politely wait the appropriate time until there's a break in his conversation with someone else. And, uh, you know, I say, oh, you know, Ian, I, I, it's so good to meet you. I said, I've been a fan since I was a teenager. I, you know, I, I've got another generation of fans here to meet you. And uh, it's just it's just such a pleasure. And Ian looks down, looks at my all access pass, and just looks me in the eyes. He goes, so you've seen me like 20 times, huh? How many did you pay for, <laughs> you know, and he just walks away and he just walks away. And I'm just like, I'm crestfallen, you yeah, know, yeah. this guy was my hero, my, but you know what? In retrospect, I should have expected no less because I love the guy for the curmudgeon he was. He, he, yeah, he and, writes
0: that way anyway. He is long right. now,
3: right? Uh, that's right. Uh, that's uh, yeah. right. Yeah, well, that's he, right, yeah, you know, he's... so uh, so yes, I was crestfallen, but, uh, you know, it, it, it didn't hurt me. I still love him. I still yeah. went to see him and paid many times after that,
0: you know, but it was an awakening. T- when was the last time you saw Jethro When was the last time you saw Jethro The 30th anniversary tour of Thick as a Brick, uh, 30th? Oh my God,
3: maybe it was 40th anniversary? No, 30th. That'd be like 30th anniversary tour of Thick as a Brick, I guess.
1: I don't know.
3: Oh, no, fortieth. No. No, it 40th. was like four or five years if it was, ago. If it was recently. 40th. That's
0: you're talking fortieth. It was recently.
3: <laughs> and and I was and I was like it just kinda it was probably my last time because, you know, we had this young man in his twenties come out, play with a stick that looked like a flute and sing all the high notes that he couldn't reach anymore. And yeah. That just kind of bothers me, you know. I wish I wish he'd get on the senior tour and, and go with his acoustic guitar and just go please us all and play songs in a key he can sing. I'd be real happy, you know. Yeah. I'd be real happy, well, you know. Yeah. I always wished he would be more of like the Grateful Dead and and do shows where you never knew what he was going to play. But I've seen him back pull uh, back to back on certain nights, and the set list is exactly the same. Yeah, know? yeah. But,
0: it's a it's a it's a tour built uh, built at home and taken on the road road and yeah. doesn't change yeah. much from night to night. Yeah. I, I yeah. Betcha. You know, but, you know, there, there are those hits, uh, that, uh, you know, everybody's expecting and, uh, it's a, it's a bit of a nostalgia act. Uh, I don't even think he's trying that much anymore. In fact, I believe he's like a very successful salmon farmer. In, very uh, successful Scotland salmon States. farmer. Yeah. So, yeah.
3: So, yeah.
1: So
0: he doesn't really need the money or, or even the excitement. It's just, uh, you know, it's a part of his, uh, who he is, and he needs to get sure. out there and play uh, every once in a while. For sure. So, all For right. Sure. So um, the Calderon Concert Hall, um, which doesn't exist anymore, uh, give us the, the sights and sounds, the smell of, of your first real house there
1: oh,
3: oh the, the Calderon was a great place. It was an old movie theater built in it built in the forties um and when we went in there, which was uh late seventies uh it was still pretty original. It had all these like really funky mosaics on the walls, and the seats were musty and you know uh uh like corduroy uh it was built as a movie theater, so there really wasn't a stage per se like a rock band would want. Mm. So we had to build these makeshift wood wooden sound wings, um, and we really didn't have our backstage. became part of the basement of the building next door. Uh, all was, everything was kind of jerry-rigged, the whole place, because it just wasn't built for what we were using it for, you know um but it had 2435 seats which made it fairly unique on long island and a great place for for middle level acts to come through you know mm-hmm. so we kept it booked you know a couple days a week um and a lot of people had their starts there i mean um it was before i were, started working for the promoter in the building but van halen was third act on a three act bill that was headed headlined by journey and still it didn't sell out you know yeah. um just cuz nobody really I knew who any of them were. Um, ACDC played there. Uh, um, uh, uh, Aerosmith played there. Peter Frampton played there on the way down after his big, big hits. Um, and uh, just a lot of up-and-coming bands. Everybody, you know, Pretenders, Joe Jackson. You had, at my period, too, you had this, this – this, um, uh, what should I say? Not a crash, but sort of a confluence of of classic, classic uh, rock. And the onset of new waves.
0: Yeah. MTV, so, MTV changes everything.
3: Uh, yeah. yeah, but it was even pre-MTV <sighs> at that point, you know. Um, MTV came out about two years later. But late 70s, you know, into the early 80s, we were starting to work with the, um, you know, the Ramones a lot. I worked with the Ramones a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, pretenders, uh, again, you know, Joe Jackson, a bunch of those people. Uh, uh, Graham Parker. um, yeah, the new uh, wave. You know, that whole bunch. Yeah, mm-hmm. the new wave. The new mm-hmm. wave. Not mm-hmm. punk so much. No. Punk, punk kind of stayed in Manhattan. Didn't really come our way, except for a crazy band named The Plasmatics, which is a whole other story. <laughs> <They> were, <yeah. laughs> I don't well, know well, if you know well, about Wendy The Plasmatics. Of course. Wendy Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wendy O. Williams, Yeah, Wendy O.
0: Williams, that's right. Yeah, great. yeah. O. Wendy O. Wendy O. Yeah. Who, I think, who think of who her whenever I the hear the name Wendy Williams these days, you know? A, yeah, right. Exactly. I don't think of that one. I think of the one with the... The, uh, the electrical tape on her uh, That was uh, sure.
3: nothing above the waist <laughs> except for electrical tape. And yes. the Mohawk,
0: yeah, yeah. And the mohawk. Uh, yeah. yeah. All, all destruction uh, more than anything else, if I remember right. Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, it was uh, yeah, know, taking, taking, taking Pete Townsend's auto destruction uh, uh, art uh, form and uh, putting it in maximum overdrive, I believe.
3: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. But it was a great, it was a great place to live and work. And I knew every inch of it, you know, it was, yeah, like you said, it was my house. You know, it was, even when we didn't have shows, that's where I was based. I did all my, my, my advanced work out of there and everything else. Um, so, you know, I was just there every day and it was, uh, it was great. I knew every nook and cranny and I ran the concessions and, and, uh, you know, managing the entire shows. I also did advertising for the company. So, you know, I dealt with the media for for selling tickets so uh, yeah it was a very well-rounded education yeah so know, from very Hoss,
2: Hoster,
0: which which as you said had a, a really good. Uh, concert promotion, uh, uh, informal uh, education uh, there yes. on campus, uh, and then uh, now uh, very uh, easily moving over to you know a, a fairly substantial uh, 2,500 seats is a, you know a good size house to uh, uh, to build a reputation on, and that's basically what you did. As soon as you, in fact, you were still in college when you were doing some of the shows at uh, the Cal.
1: Oh yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: I was still my junior and senior year of college, like I said, college was kind of my Right. my half thought you know i was pretty right. much working full-time and just trying to keep up with classes and and all of that i graduated okay i had like a 3.0 you know you know no dummy but it uh, certainly wasn't uh magna cum laude that's for sure
0: well like we said you are a vice president of marketing in a bank so you have to have some i sort did okay of paper. you did okay. i did okay yeah <laughs> but, but 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 do you also have a phd in rock and roll yeah uh, yes yeah. Sure. Right, 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 sure. right. 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 So, right. Sure. Uh, much more fun, I'm sure, than the uh, than the marketing. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Marketing marketing can be pretty fun too. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's okay. Yeah. But it ain't rock and roll. So. <laughs> so. So then. You, you, rock and roll. You no. Know, you go to work for is it uh, Freefall uh, presentations, right? I believe Mark. Yep.
3: Was that was right. Freefall. Who who yeah. had the lease on the Calderon. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
0: And still, I think is Mark Puma still around uh, doing? You know, stuff?
3: I mean, he's 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 still alive and you know that's not a joke (laughs) that's not a joke because a lot of people aren't you know
1: um
3: but uh, i don't believe he's in the business anymore i don't think so
1: yeah
0: yeah all right change a change of pace here just a a a question to off the off the cuff um you know what do you think is the biggest event ever uh in rock and roll history i mean was it was it the beatles in 64 or elvis before that or was it something else
3: Ah, interesting question. Interesting question. I'd still probably say the Beatles, you know, because I just think that they weren't just music. It started a cultural change. Yeah. Um, it wasn't all them, but I think they were the spark, you know, that really set so many other wheels in motion to change a lot of things in the world, not just music you yeah. know yeah yeah um, they, they
0: they they're kind of like the avatars in some ways to uh, events that you know are all churning around at the same time they they just happen to show up at the right time at the right place they were the right guys they had done right. their homework uh you know they had put in their proverbial ten thousand hours uh right the, uh and uh, uh you know uh they they got hooked up with the right people first um uh, uh brian epstein and uh and then george martin uh, that kind of helped solidify them into what they became uh, and they rode that wave uh, along with uh, many other people who who are still you know out there doing it I mean you know Paul McCartney's out there uh, touring just as big as ever uh, Bob Dylan is. Um, you know, I know uh uh David Crosby's out there. I know Crosby, Silas and Asher constantly talking mm-hmm. about getting back together.
2: You know, a lot that's you know, will be out there
0: when Mick gets better. Well, yeah. Let's hope so cuz I have tickets. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> and uh uh yeah, you know, but but yeah, I mean, could you ever imagine you know this being you know still the dominant um at least live uh, uh, music. Uh, fifty years on.
3: Oh wow, that's a whole other conversation. You know, um, did I ever see it then? You know, it, this is this actually. It's a big conversation I have with a lot of friends these days. You know, definitely we didn't see it coming then. But back then, we never thought it was going to end. If yeah. you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we just thought it. There was, was always go somebody new.
0: Somebody new was always around the corner. Right. Right. Somebody
3: new. And, you know, even even the people that we loved, the bands would break up. But, you know, then they'd splinter off and some would be good, some would be not. But but the whole scene. And you're right. There was always somebody new coming along to interest us, you know, um, and that comes into, you know, a whole a whole question today. Well, you know, is it today that there are just aren't artists? who are as, as, as creative or as exciting as those artists were, or are we just not getting the opportunity to hear them the way we did then, you know, and that's, you know, that comes to the whole thing, you know, well, I'm, I know everybody loves the internet and it's all free and splintered and no curation, but I I think DJs, you know, I like DJs. I like the idea that these people were curating for me, you know, um uh um telling me that we think this is a good band or we think this is a good song. Here, take a listen. I grew up with W N E W F M and like the Nightbird and Scott muni and all those people. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. It was just they turned me on to so much and opened my mind. And, you know, they weren't they weren't like screaming morning jocks. They were they were intelligent people, you know, who who gave you some backstory on what they were gonna play for you and and why they thought it was good. Um that was important to me.
0: Out here on the West Coast, I, I grew up in L.A., and, you know, we had Jim Ladd and, like, Bob Coburn and, you know, uh, uh, Rodney Biegenheimer uh, who, you know, would bring these, you know, uh, new acts that uh, they felt were important to hear. And even, you know, give some people a try that may not have uh, yeah. uh, uh, lasted more than a song, but, uh, but, you know, you still got a, a new flavor, a new sound. And, right. yeah, they went, they went and did the work of curating through a bunch of other things you <laughs> And you know, I see your point with you know the internet, uh, like like most you know technological achievements. There's some sort of double-edged sword to it. And uh, while it's created an embarrassment of riches, uh, to uh, to have uh, all of this music available, it's created a sea of mediocrity and a difficult uh, nature to find you know the real gem. And then let that gem kind of. And I, I also think that there the the business itself had something to do with it that, you know, back in the day, uh, there, there there, was a internal curation within the labels themselves of like, oh, yes, this is a yes. raw guy, let's give him a couple of albums to put it together. But by about 1980, that had switched to, no, nah, if you didn't come pretty much fully formed and with some audience of some right. form, you know, we, we, we don't want to have anything to do with you. Uh, and then they out just wanted to, you know, get you on your peak and, and then, you know, get rid of you so they could sign the next person that was right there. So yeah. that, that And radio
3: happen. became part of the problem, too, you know, because... Because, you know, they started to package playlists. There was less sleep freedom anymore. Um, And then less
0: independent radios themselves. I mean, in the end, I I think you now have, I think it's like three companies own 90% of the radio stations in the country. So you just, you know, you don't have these... um, uh, uh, geographic areas developing their own talent you know uh, 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 th- th- this person will come up several times in this conversation we might as well bring him up now because you said you and your friends uh, argue about this uh, all the time I'm sure one of them is the guy with the big blonde hair D. Snyder. Uh, and right. Twisted Sister is a perfect example those guys worked their ass off in the tri-state area for oh, yeah. a decade or more oh, yeah. before they ever turned into anything and uh, just you know uh, they were a region rede- But they were a regional hit. They could make a living uh, doing that until, you know, they showed up on MTV one day. And, you know, as you say in the book, you know, it's it's this short period of where they are, you know, at the peak. Uh, you know, there's there's a long road to get to it, and then there's a a slow decline uh, on the other side. Um, and yeah. so, you know, <clears throat> that's I, that. Just I don't know if that really exists anymore. Um, you know, I I, I watch hip hop and listen to hip hop uh, a, a fair amount. I've got a a, a college age kid who uh, you know and turns me on to some things. And mm-hmm. and you know, I, I would say hip hop is the is the new rock and roll. It's got that street attitude. Uh, you know, right. uh, if if you if you get a, a beyond the the top surface there are some good intelligent lyrics uh that are talking about important things uh you know they're trying to inform their audience and uh and create the feedback loop that we used to have with with the music but at the same time it's so fragmented and so small that you're you're never ever going to even hear of these people uh not not in a cultural sense not in a water cooler sense but then again you know the converse is that you know at the Best of times, there were maybe 500 top artists in the business and now there's you know hundreds of thousands. So, you know
3: right. And that's going pay. back to, you know, when when I, I said about the internet, I don't want anybody to think I'm like anti internet. But you're not a Luddite. Being, no, no, no. Yeah, I'm not a Luddite. Yeah. You know, the point being is, you know, to me the internet's more about search than it is serendipity. And I think the serendipity is gone of me discovering new music that way. You know? Yeah. Um you know, I, it's we put on Spotify playlists all the time and even if I hear somebody I like I don't have DJ telling me who it was. I've got to run back to the laptop to see <laughs> in the queue, you know, wh- who that was. And it's like, yeah, well, yeah, I just don't have the time or energy to do that, you know. Um, you know, do I think that there's, you know, good people who rise to the top out there? I mean, yeah, I do. You know, a couple of years ago, I, you know, uh, uh, a couple, it's more than a couple of years now. You know, I think Muffin and Sons, if they do things right, can be a, le- a legacy. I don't want to call them a legacy act already, but I
0: mean an act with legs, yeah, you know? the- you could be around for 20 years uh, or Yeah, more, you know? yeah. Because yeah. to me, that was always the key, is the 20-year the mark. If you know, if you were around for 20 years, you know what? You were going to be around and play music for the rest of your life. Uh, right. You didn't, you didn't You've have got to a go, real career. Yeah, you didn't have to go work at Ace Hardware uh, on the weekends yep. uh, sort of thing. So, yep. yeah, I get you. So, I get you. So, you know, I think there are, you know, I think there is great talent out there and good
3: bands like that. You know, it's just I just think, you know, it's diff- and more difficult for the masses to hear them, because even a band like that has a new record come out and nobody hears it.
0: Yeah. No. Not, not at all. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. And or, you know, or their album if, like, came the... out
3: with a very loud thud. You know. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. It's...
0: Or one. every once in a while you get one. That, you know, it's funny. Um, the the one that comes to mind uh, to me is. I'm peripherally, uh, uh, you know, knew about it. And that's Linda Ronstadt's latest uh, live album. Right. She had never put a live album out. This is probably at about her peak, 1980. And it is smoking hot. It is amazingly good. And, you know, it was kind of in the public eye for about a week. And then poof uh now we're off to talking about something else you know it's funny I, I i i heard somebody say uh in fact this is somebody in the in the music business puts a letter out he's been on our show before our, our diggers Ooh, bob, left know, sets. bob left sets uh who yeah. says that um uh you know it, the the rock stars today are are like politicians it's that's what everybody's paying attention to that's where that's where they're in the media uh you know that are commenting on it that's where the stories are that's where uh, people are really you know know have have their 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 gaze fixed to and and i you know i I, at first i poo-pooed it and but the more i think about it the more i go back and go yeah you know unfortunately that's probably the case
3: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 the techies were sort of rock stars for a moment, too, but I think yeah, they're quieter think about their money and stuff, yeah, you know, yeah, so.
1: Yeah, yeah they, well, yeah, well,
0: you, you know, let's face it. You you also can't do the things that uh, that you used to be able to get away with. Uh, no. You know, I don't know if you saw the new Motley Crue movie, The Dirt. Um, but uh, no, I
3: haven't yet. But I've heard about it.
0: Oh, you know, I mean, I watched it, and you know, yeah, I I remember those days. And there's just no way you could live life like that in the age of the cell phone uh, and the uh, everybody having a camera. Uh, oh, you God! Know, you, you'd be hauled into court in uh, in, in a week. Uh, so that, that just you know just that that whole outlaw uh, kind of over the top. Uh, uh persona number 1 it's not original and unique anymore and i don't think you could get away with that uh in no. uh, in society today which uh,
3: which brings No you brings... read my Van Halen Yeah, I, I
0: was <laughs> going to bring up Van Halen so for a couple of reasons um <clears throat> yeah so let's talk about uh that uh that sunset strip band uh that came out and conquered the world in 1978 with an extraordinary guitar player, uh, Eddie Van Halen I think is yep. uh, one of those generational uh, guitar players uh, and over the top uh, center ring master in David Lee Roth and a great rhythm section with Michael Anthony and, uh, and uh, Eddie's brother uh, yep. Alex. I mean you got to be up and close and personal with those guys as they're like growing into the world dominating band that they became in the early 80s right?
3: Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I did the 1980 tour, 1981 tour, and 1982 tour. Um, and, uh, it was, but I got to tell you, starting in 1980, when they, this was their first, uh, I think, uh, headlining arena tour, those guys had their act together. They knew what they were doing. They were pros. Um, they were
0: pros. from the they, very,
3: they, 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 <laughs> were, they were pros like nobody else was pros. I mean, and I dealt with a lot of people up to that point. And, uh, those guys came in and they just, they had their act together. They took control. Everybody just stood back and go, whoa, and didn't mess with them you know, on, on kind of all fronts. Um, it was uh, very impressive. But, you know, that said, um, their, their production manager, a guy named Patrick, who was about my age, maybe two years older at the time, uh, was great. He was just so buttoned up in OCD. And <laughs> it just, I loved it. I loved it because we were of the same head, uh-huh. you know. Um, so, yeah, we, so, we really so how much does it
0: OCD play in getting a rock show from town to town? On time.
3: Oh well, I mean it's a tremendous (laughs) point because a a show like that, and 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 the other chapter that I really enjoyed in the book was writing a day in the life, which takes you through uh, an arena rock show from six a.m. in the morning till everything's loaded out at night, and. There are just so many details. One loose bolt could cause a catastrophe, mm-hmm. you know, and probably yeah. has in the past. Um, you know, it's uh, there's just a million things to look after and a million variables, you know, particularly when you're dealing with with artists who are uh, temperamental. Um, Temperamental, uh, um, uh, unpredictable, you know, (laughs) uh, um, you know, the norm is unpredictability. In those situations, you know, because it's it's actually rare when you get someone through who's really looking at it as, as their job and, you know, okay, they're up, they're down and, you know, no muss, no fuss. Uh, particularly in those days, you know, it, it's these people, the bands, you know, be it Van Halen, Aerosmith, these guys were a couple years older than me, you know. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I,
0: well, and this this was this was ultimate freedom with a, 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 an open checkbook. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, you could indulge uh, to your heart's delight. And as we discussed earlier, indulge in ways that there is no way you could get away with these days.
3: No, 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 not at all, not at all. It's uh, you know, I mean, the three days in Detroit with Van Halen, and the reason they, I mean, those guys were always over the top, but they were particularly over the top because Life Magazine sent out a photographer, right. To uh, record but that was their all three image. days. Yeah, that,
0: so, so they, they so they yeah. Well, really the title of the article ended
3: <laughs> up being "Rock's Ralliest Rogues, so they wanted to live the part, you right. know.
1: Right. Right.
3: Um, you know. So the first night, you know, we had a full, we set up a full strip club backstage.
0: You know, you couldn't do that today. Eight? No <laughs> um, There's
1: no yeah. way you could
0: do that today. Yeah. No. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Even though, even though these were, uh, you know, willing participants, and uh, uh, you know, everybody wanted to get back there uh, and uh, and explore these fairly new freedoms. I mean, even uh, in yeah. the, the 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 late 1970s and early 80s, you know, we are still shedding off uh, our uh, old Victorian skins. Uh, that uh, you know had had you know dominated uh, uh, that um, uh, society uh, for the the last uh, couple hundred years uh or right. maybe even longer uh, and um uh, you know that that's the thing about rock and roll is that it really was about shedding off uh these norms uh in a lot of ways in in just you know how how we lived uh what was expected uh of you going to school and and uh and getting a job and getting the nuclear family um you know there's there's a lot of a lot of uh pathos into why that may have been, uh, you know, given the end of World War II, that this this art form kind of began to form uh, here, you know, after uh, the, uh, the Atomic Age began. Uh, There's a lot of people that talked about that uh, in their uh, lyrical content of living under uh, those sort of conditions. And at the same time, the world getting smaller by communication and growing in this mass media, this brand new mass media age, is what, uh, what we end up with. And now we have these people that we have elevated to the status of Olympian gods, right? Yeah,
3: for sure. For sure, you know, and, and, and they took it whole, played the part wholeheartedly, you know. I mean, why not? You yeah, You know, people, yeah, people yeah. think you're a god. Yeah. You start thinking it yourself after yeah, a while, yeah, you yeah, know. people
0: are telling you every day, right, right. You know, the thing about Van Halen, though, it was two things I, I wanted to talk about before we moved on, and, and that was that even though they were like this, and you mentioned this just briefly here, but I want you to go a little bit more detail, is that, that not, and it wasn't just the road crew. The band themselves were quite professional when it came to doing the job, right? Oh, for sure.
3: Yeah, for a sure. lot a yeah. lot
0: of this was act. A lot of it was entertainment, it was showmanship. And they understood yep. that when, you know, when the lights were off, they kind of uh, did their thing. I guess except Alex with his uh, samurai sword uh, in Detroit.
3: Yeah, yeah. I don't think he uses Samurai. <laughs> I saw it all the time. But, Nothing. you know, but no, they understood. They they understood that their image was a big part of their brand, you know, their bad boy image. Yeah. Um. You know, do I think they were bad boys at heart to begin with? Oh, well, yeah. I think they were crazy guys,
0: you oh, know. They were, they were but, living the dream, having a good time in the day and the, the sunshine. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, uh, to, to just sit and listen to David Lee Roth talk for a bit – um he may be a little nutty but there's a lot going on in there right oh
3: yeah they weren't stupid let's put it that way they certainly weren't stupid they were i think they were brilliant guys they wrote brilliant music they were great musicians they they did it all right for a while they were they were arguably the biggest band in the world Oh yeah. Can't argue with that. No, no. Can't no. argue with that. You no, know? no. Until, and, until uh,
0: Eddie got tired of uh, David's shenanigans and kicked him out, and uh, yeah, which, uh, you know, they could have can continued. But uh, as you say in the book, nobody's interested in the Sammy. Hagar fronted Van Halen, but everybody still loved to go and see uh, Van Halen. In fact, as you know, you've probably heard, you know, there's been rumors floating around uh, all winter that, you know, Michael Anthony would come back into the band and the original four would go out on tour, and that would be right. a stadium tour. Oh, and yeah, that'd that's be huge. Something else that, 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 that again, that'd uh, be huge. We, 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 uh, there's a theme that's going to keep coming up is that, you know, yeah. the. All, uh, These guys are – this is 40-plus years – uh, about forty years now. Seventy-eight so, uh, when yeah. they, they hit the hit the hit the uh, the charts, um. So they, you know, forty years on, they're able to fill a stadium, uh, with maybe one or two supporting acts. Uh, you just couldn't do that with today's music. Uh, no, I, you know, there's no, just no way. No. You, you need, you know, you, you it, it's a festival type of thing. You need forty or fifty acts, uh, to right. do uh, to do the same thing that you could do with three. Uh, back in the day and and with certain uh, acts uh, you can continue to do today. Uh, You know, uh, the Rolling Stones, for example, which, you know, did put uh, their uh – uh, their current uh, stadium tour on 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 hold right. until it gets better. But man, they they sold out, ready to go. Uh, it's it's amazing. These guys are almost well, eighty. That's crazy. Yeah,
3: and not to be cynical, you know, that's probably part of it. I know I'd want to see them again before one of them's gone. I mean, you look at you look at guys like them. I mean, they're all still alive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're not. A, they're not a tribute band of themselves yet as many, as many acts are, you know, um, you know, that's why I always question, you know, you wonder what goes through Steve Perry's head. I mean, you know, there's a band you stick him back in journey and they'd be, they could conceivably do do it. Yeah. uh,
0: You were right. Yeah. Yeah. You put that in the book and I was like, yep, you're absolutely right. Well, Hey, that may happen. You know, he just put his first solo album out uh, in the last, uh, I think almost 30 years. And, uh, you know, uh, it did, OK. But again, it was, uh, you know, uh, a, a news item for about a week and yeah, uh, and yeah. it's gone. Well, you know, the next step is, you know, whole Neil Sean makes the phone call and says, um, yeah, hey, you know, if we want to make some real bank. Uh, That's right. You know, put that That's together. right. 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 That's right. 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 You know. All right. All right. So uh, um, uh, at, at the height, uh, we have like Van Halen. Uh, doing those three tours there, uh, 80, 81 and 82, uh, yep. incredible, uh, time to be working with those guys. Well, uh, conversely, you seem to have worked with Aerosmith at the bottom.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, hence the title of the book, Babysitting a Band on the Rocks. And, you know, that's kind of the, the narrative arc that weaves through the whole thing um, is, you know, b- uh, basically revol- revolves around 12 months I spent with them right after Joe Perry had left the band. Um, and he was, you know, Steven wasn't in great shape, but Joe wasn't in any better shape, I don't think. No. Uh, you know, they didn't call them the toxic twins for no oh, reason, right. you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For nothing. Um, and, uh, and it was just a, a very interesting year. I mean, it's, you know, I had been managing, uh, the Calderon and running all the shows there as well as some club shows. Um, and it was coming up to, uh, the first arena show I was ever going to run. And the first arena show was going to be the first two shows of Aerosmith's, uh, night in the ruts tour or, or as they actually right called in the, the tour, <laughs> right in the nuts. Um, and this was to be uh the first tour without Joe Perry, uh with a uh, a young man named uh, uh Richie Crespo who stood in, who Richie was great. He was a great guitarist, you know, mm-hmm. nothing against him, but he wasn't Joe Perry, you know. Um and uh, you know they were not in great shape. I started out uh, doing a night of rehearsals with them, being up to New York, uh, which was uh, had everybody on edge because about two days it was a general admission show, and as we all know, general admission is you know fight for your space Ooh, on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and about three days earlier, I think it was was the uh, Who disaster out oh, in, in I Cincinnati. believe it was Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah, where like eight people died at a yeah. GA show.
1: Eleven.
3: So. Yeah you know, everybody was like, humma, 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 you know, how's this gonna go? You know? Um and luckily it went off without a hitch and, and the band actually, while well, they were pretty rusty, uh, that that all went very well. Um and then we drove from uh, Binghamton, like eight hours I think it was, to Portland, Maine. I mean, it's a hike, uh, for the next day's show. And uh that didn't go so well. Um, long story, we had Scorpions opening, which was which was good. New, um, a,
0: yeah, a new band new uh, on new the, band: on the yeah, it's, the a time, new right? band. it's
3: a new band the new band. you know <laughs> they, they had the same manager, which was Contemporary Communications Corporation, run by two guys, uh, uh, Steve Lieber and um, David Krebs. Yeah. so and that's what happened then a lot. you know you'd have a package of two bands, the baby band and, and the headline of a manager. so uh, but that went rather badly because about three or four songs, I believe it was during Reefer Headed Room, and Steven passed out on stage, about three or four songs into the set, and he wasn't getting up, and um, it was uh, kind of hairy, bottles started flying and stuff And we had to tell people that the show was canceled, like three songs in, um, and uh, you know, that was kind of it, they had to run out, pick him up on stage and drag him off, and you know, doctors attended to him, and he came back, you know, for what it actually was. You know, no one 11 his, in other than him, I guess. And, you know, in his book, he just says he was really tired and had been drinking, but who knows? You know, who knows?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't there, so I'm not going to accuse
3: anybody I, of anything, you know. Um, but, you know, he didn't, you know, Joe walked because they were having problems. I think, you know, they were both probably having trouble. Drug- drug problems would be my guess, you know, and, um, And uh, so that ended uh, the Night in the Ruts tour for a while until, you know, they I think they finished some dates at the end. That was in December of uh, 79, and I think they finished a couple dates and then came back in January and did a couple more, including the Make Good for Us up in uh, Portland, Maine, and uh, they did Nassau Coliseum. But then it it fell apart again. uh, I'd never heard quite why, but uh, they probably wrapped it up by, like, February and never made it past the Mississippi. So... Um, you know, things weren't going well. So about two months after that, uh, David Krebs gives us a call and says, Hey, you know, these guys, like they need money. You know, well, I got to do something I can't put them out on a on an arena tour. You know what should we do. So, you know, uh, Mark was kind of like uh, bucking for a protege of of, of uh, David's. And he said, well, you know what? I'll stick them in clubs up and down the East Coast. We'll call it the mystery club tour. So nobody knows it's them until they get there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Week, and, week. Right, you know, right, right. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, uh, you know, we'll make them some cash. So they can still get by And all of that And uh, you know Meanwhile you know We'll try to get them better You know that kind of thing So uh, that's what we did Over the course of April, May and June of 1980 Uh, We did about a dozen 15 dates uh, From uh, From Cape Cod Down to Philadelphia uh, All kinds of clubs A couple clubs on Long Island A couple clubs in Jersey uh, Up in uh, in Massachusetts And uh, every night it was it was flirting with disaster and uh, and uh, quite an adventure and uh, but we all survived it all and uh, you know they went on to uh, resurrect themselves after they got new managers and all um, seven years later and you know and they, they had a rebirth God bless them you know yeah, God bless that,
0: them. It's kind of amazing that um, uh, a band like that uh, and and let's face it I mean these guys were a real honest to goodness rock and roll band Addabbo uh, and uh, came up uh, with uh, you know uh, the hard way you know uh, from the clubs uh, and, yeah. and when you when you're on that, that 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 first rocket ship ride it's all great and you pay your dues and uh, you know you work your ass off and uh, you know because they uh, were good songwriters. They came up with some fucking great songs. They and were then, great songwriters. Oh, amazing, yeah. I mean, there's no two ways about it. And then, yeah, and and, and then the drugs and other uh, 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 let let us call road uh, problems, Subversion. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Become uh, uh, more important than than the the work, the songwriting itself and uh they kind of you know uh, all fell apart uh, there uh, luckily in some form or another they were able to you know stick it out uh until they kind of all got clean uh uh, with that, what uh, was uh, the album that brought him back uh, that was kind of like, it was really the rehab. Oh, Done album. With Mirrors. Done With Mirrors, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and, great uh, double entendre, right? Great <laughs> right, double entendre. Right, right. right. <laughs> they, and so, you know, and now, you know, now they are, you know, rock and roll hall of famers. Uh, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're they're able to go out there and, uh, and sell halls uh, without a blink. Uh, and uh, you know they still look good. They still look like the band. And you know, to your point, there's it's the original five guys. are, are still out yeah. there. Yeah, you know that's yeah uh, yeah
1: that's, that's pretty yeah. wild. So you know, I, yeah. I give them
0: all uh, the credit in the world. For you know, making it through the darkness uh, and getting back up uh, to the to the top of the mountain because there's a, they did. I mean they they reached about oh, the yeah. same peak that they did in the in the mid 70s. They did again yep. in the late 80s, uh, which is yes. really really unheard of. Uh, you know, it's usually uh, you know a ride and maybe maybe a dip and and then and then again these guys were almost dead uh, here and you got to see see that. Um, what do
3: you, what well, almost I, dead is almost dead is literal quite. Honestly, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, yeah. it was, it was bad. It was bad. You know, yeah, it was it, bad. And it, for me, it was crazy because these guys like, like Ian Anderson and Jethro if there was a second band in the world that like I owned for my own. It was Aerosmith, Oh, okay. you know, yeah. I, I saw them open for black Sabbath and I think it was 75 and I, it, was, uh, it was the Toys in the Attic tour. They opened for Black Sabbath. And we just all went, whoa. I mean, we were all sabbath Ooh, heads, yeah, yeah. And Who these the guys blew us this? away. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Blew us away. And then five year, less than five years later, I'm like trying to keep this guy alive. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Imagine the irony of that, yeah. you know, for like a 21-year-old kid.
0: <laughs> that is crazy. Yep, yep.
3: Yeah, it was pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy,
0: especially in the depths uh, of depravity at that point. And, yeah, and no, you know, trying to to get at it, and you know, as you know, there's nothing that you can say to anybody to do this. They have to do it on no. their own. And, and luckily, yeah. you know, Stephen did it on his own. Um, I think uh, the other guys yeah. had uh, issues, maybe less or so. I I, I think Joe had, had a pretty bad uh, uh, habit as well. Uh And yeah. uh, you know, they um, like professionals. They they realize that no you know there's there was something and there still is something magical about those yeah. five guys and you know that's oh, something yeah. that i think comes through in the book a couple of times is that you know uh, van halen's a perfect example while while they had a moment with sammy hagar's um uh version of, of van hagar um uh you know it it certainly wasn't a lasting thing and what people want is they want that original feel and uh, you know you yeah. can only do that with the guys who were who were there you know if you're lucky, you can plug in somebody, uh, you know, uh conversely, you have, you know, Jethro Tull who, you know, let's face it, Ian Anderson is not what he was, and even I th- I don't even think anybody else is in the band that's original uh, or No, even not even Martin
3: Barr. Martin hung out for a long time, but yeah. he finally hung it up too.
0: Yeah, so that's it's kind of funny. All right, so I got to ask, is the strat key really the key to the house? is it uh, Yes. Really? Yes. That's stretch- Yes. Oh, I, ha- I That's have. That's my house key. I have the exact same one for the key in my house. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. And don't you love how it's all beat up like a yeah. pre-CBS?
0: Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Which uh, which brings me to uh, Richie Blackmore. Um, wow. uh, cause I, again, uh, you y- we talked a little bit about the plasmatics and their they, they took this, you know, um, uh, immediate intensity, uh, feel and, and I'm sure you've seen the who, uh, several times and, sure. you know, you, you know, it's funny. Uh, I've seen the who several times and you know, it's going to be a good night if Pete Townsend is angry, r- seriously right. angry. And as he gets yeah. more angry through the night it just the show just gets better it's just that's the way it works right. and and if you're lucky he's going to smash a guitar right but it's it's yep. not it's not a thing he does all the time it was it, it really was in the moment. And then, you know, of course, that becomes legendary. Uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix at, at Monterey, it, you know, does right. one up him. Uh, burning the, burn, yeah. the fucking yeah. And, and then it's just piled on top, piled on top, piled on top, uh, until we get to somebody like the plasmatics, which is like, no, that is the act. Uh, <laughs> right, then, correct, correct, th- th- correct.
3: Th- th- there th- really th- were no signs. Right. No, you know? no, was it, was, it was all up. about
0: the explosions, right. And then yeah. you have the thing with Richie Blackmore, which I found really really... really interesting because this guy is thought of as you know a a very old school professional quiet type of uh uh, of musician that is only in it for the music and that is the the persona that he puts out there it is the uh the reasoning he gives for who plays in his band um and yet he has a little secret that uh that i didn't know about tell us a little bit about
1: that
3: yeah, well, I mean, I I saw I saw Deep Purple back in the day. I saw him with the, uh, the Burn tour with David Coverdale. And oh, and Glenn Hughes. At,
1: yeah,
3: yeah, and Glenn Hughes. Yes, and Glenn Hughes who yeah, two, did all the E and high parts. Right.
1: right. Yeah, yeah, dual lead vocals. You know, <laughs> yeah. David
3: Coverdale uh, oh. Dale did the blues one, stuff, one take and then he, it, right, right. Yeah. yeah, and Glenn Hughes sang uh, the real high notes. So, uh, but at the end of the show, you know, Richie just destroys his Stratocaster, his nice, beautiful, creamy, white Stratocaster. Um, well, we're like, oh, wow, that's really cool. You know, I mean, we're all 15, 16, whatever. You
0: yeah, know? He just blew and then, $800. Oh, my God. Yeah, right, right, oh right.
3: right you know. And uh, then the first show I work with him, Uh, is uh, a double bill of of Rainbow with Dio back in the time, you know, and REO Speedwagon. And uh, we were, there were no union guys on this gig, and so all us college kids were unloading uh, the trucks. And while we're unloading the trucks, one of the roadies tosses down to me what I think is like Richie Stratocaster from the top of uh, top of uh, cases in the truck. And I'm like, holy crap, you're just throwing around Richie Strat? You know, what what's that about? He goes, no, nah, no. Nah. And then I look at it, you know, and I see it's a Carlo Rebellion. And at the time, Carlo Rebelli was the Strat knockoff. That's who. If you were going to buy a knockoff Strat, That's you bought a you Carlo get, right? Rebelli. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. You know, which probably all, you know. Technically and everything, it was probably just as good a guitar. I'm not yeah, a guitar yeah. player, but it probably was pretty damn close. But it wasn't a Strat, so it was a lot cheaper. It wasn't eight hundred dollars, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever it cost at that time, you know. And you know, I said to the guy, I said, it was crazy, you know, what are you saying?" And then he goes, "Oh no," he goes, "It's a fake." And I look at it, it's Carlo Rebel, and he goes, "Yeah, Richie, Richie just likes them to look banged up, so they look like, you know, he switches his Strat for Carlo Rebelli at the end of the show to to destroy it, and he wants it to already look banged up, so it looks authentic like his like his strat does, you know, because his strat was probably, you know, vintage, you know, of some sort. And oh, you know, God, with the, yeah. with the yeah. paint wearing off and all that kind of stuff. You know? So uh so uh uh comes a show, you know, and and sure enough at the end of every show and now and uh, you know Richie does the whole thing and you know trashes, trashes the guitar, breaks the neck, you know, everything. And it's uh uh to go back to your thing about him being you know into the music, yeah, and I agree with your assessment, I think he's totally he is about the music, and that's why he changes musicians all the time, and he's always striving and changing his sound or whatever else, but I think he probably started to do it at one time, and everybody so loved it that he just incorporated it, you know, much like, much like, uh, you know, Pete Townsend did back in the day, you know, I mean, you're right. Pete Townsend probably, you know, uh, 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 destroyed his amps
0: because he was, oh, pissed, he was literally pissed off. No, that's, yeah. uh, the original, the original story is in a, in a right. club. And to be honest with you, it wasn't even that. He just kind of, um, uh, he did something, raised the guitar in a low ceiling club and it went through the, the, the ceiling and oh, the through crowd, the tiles or the crowd yeah. went nuts. And they were yeah. like, oh, yeah. all right. Well, let's try this uh, a little bit a little bit more uh, 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 with intention. And yeah. uh, and then it just kind of grew from there to, to the point is I don't yeah. know if you remember them on the Smothers Brothers where uh, uh, Keith Moon says, oh, I'll do you one better. I'll fill my uh, drum kit full of dynamite yeah. and blow it up uh, in front. <laughs> And, and and destroy your hearing in the process. Uh, so. yeah. yeah.
3: for sure. For sure. But yeah, so you know, I think it was kind of the same thing, I would guess, because we all would have been everybody would have been disappointed if he didn't do it, you know. Right, right. But uh, but I think it kind of got more and more dangerous, you know, as he went along because, you know, that night particularly, you know, he threw the thing all the way up in the, in the rafters and it it hit the lighting truss and spun around and came flying back down and and a whole pieces of it shattered all over the place you know i i actually got hit right in the chest with a piece of it that i wish i kept but i have no souvenirs so
0: yeah you say that in the book you never grabbed any souvenirs in all nothing. that time a while. nothing it, it, not even a guitar are, pick are you not a collector or you know it's just i'm that- actually i'm actually a huge collector
3: i mean <laughs> of music i still have 600 cds okay. Uh-huh. and we'll maybe we'll talk more about that later. Um, and uh, I also happen to collect antiquities, <laughs> yeah. which is a whole other thing. um i just I do collect shit. But at the time, I was so engrossed in the work, you know, yeah, um it just didn't come to mind i also I also probably didn't think so much that history was happening in front of me, you know. As I look by now, and part of the reason I wrote the book is almost for it to be a time capsule of mm-hmm. what that time was like and what it was about, and how everybody felt about it. Um, you know, but at the time I was living it, so I, I didn't really think of things as mementos. I never asked anybody to sign anything, you know. Well, uh, I never took I, any pictures, you know, nothing.
0: I, I've talked to a lot of uh, photographers, uh, the tour photographers and the thing right. th- there's a commonality between them and I think it's similar to, to you and that is the reason they were the guys who got those jobs was because they didn't fuck around they this well, this was a job and I think that's well, what you're yeah. saying is that is that you know you were so engrossed in the moment and the job yeah. and the tasks at hand of which there were numerous and a myriad of them that there you know there was no time to think about oh let me grab this thing or let me take a picture because then you're not being a professional you're not in the moment right. and making sure that your job's done and ready for the next job which you know is coming down the
1: pike at right. you. well that's speed. i had to
3: fire a guy one time because i couldn't find him and he was in the dressing room talking with the artist i said you're done get yeah. out of here yeah, yeah. there you, you go. know there you go you know because um, that's question. not what it was about right. yeah. Right. yeah that's not what it was about you yeah. know um you know, I may have got into it for that, but it quickly, it quickly turned yeah. into uh, a work and responsibility, you know, yeah. very yeah. quickly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And no, well, that's, uh, you know, this, this is, uh, you know, it's behind the curtain. It's this, it's, it's, there's a lot of work that goes on uh, to put these things on. People uh, that, have no idea. They, they, that, well, that's, what, no that's idea. why we're trying to do this show is to, you know, yeah. expose to them yeah. that, uh, that yeah. wow, there was so much going on. Uh, you know, uh, you know. Sometimes what I have fun doing is uh, just when I get in the parking lot, as I count the trucks, and uh, if, uh, just the number yeah. of semis, and you start to say, "Holy shit!" I think. Um I think on Roger Waters' last semi, there was like 22, 22 semis on the on the, the last uh, yeah the, the concert run. Yeah, like, it's crazy. Oh my god! I mean, that's a small city. You're putting a fucking small city oh, together yeah. every day. Oh yeah, that's uh it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty crazy.
3: So. Yeah, even at four semis, you know, yeah. four, four or five was the most that I dealt with at any time. Yeah, um, but even that, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, four it's, or five
1: it's, semis. I mean, eleven-hour
3: yeah. job to set yeah. that shit up. you yeah. know, yeah. and again, if one bolt is broken or loose. Can all go up the crapper? Oh God! Down yeah. the crapper. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah. 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 You know, which, uh, sure. which
0: which which takes me to uh, the next uh, a band to talk about because they brought a. Is it really? Am I calculating this right? A twenty-eight hundred pound bell with them?
3: You know, that's what it, sells on the, it says on the road
0: case. You know, I couldn't believe and it was that you're
1: gonna hang heavy that? Either. You're
0: gonna hang that from the the lighting rig or the rafters? You know,
3: well, you'd be surprised what you can hang for rafters. You know, that's not that's <laughs> yeah. not so much. That's so much, but it was in our case, it was the stage that couldn't take it. You know, it's just yeah. they put the road case on the stage, and the wheels just sunk right through the stage. Just went, boop, you know. Now, let's explain to everybody. <laughs> like, you know what we do
1: now?
0: <laughs> let's explain to everybody what we're talking about. So we're talking about ACDC in 1980, uh, with their comeback album and tour. Uh, Back in Black, uh, and uh, they took with them Interesting you
3: call it a comeback album.
1: Well,
0: I know, I know, it's crazy. But, I mean, let's face it, their singer had just, uh, you know, had just died uh, the year before. Uh, You know, the great, amazing Bon Scott. uh, Oh, for sure. And, uh, you know, luckily they found this guy um, who kind of just... Fit right in, and uh, nobody ever questioned that, uh, which which I find really interesting. So it's a that's a rare rare feat uh, in the history of rock and roll is to find a singer that just literally fits right in. And while he's a little different, he still can do the old stuff pretty good. And of course, you know, let's face it, they came out with an album that I think uh, in your book uh, they they sold fifty million copies. uh, Oh yeah, uh, it's one uh, of the biggest selling albums. Of all, of all time. time. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So now what's funny is that, you know, it's a band from Australia, 1980. You know, America is built on American bands and British bands, not bands from Australia. And uh, here come these guys uh, who, you know, had, had, had made a little dent uh, in, uh, in the, uh, the Americas, especially with uh, Highway to Hell. Um, but right. still, they weren't a big headline touring uh, act. But yet you were asked to, uh, to actually start them in, uh, in the halls, in the arenas. Uh, and uh, along with it comes a 2,800-pound fully forged <laughs> brass bell.
3: Yep. Yep, yep, yep. It was uh it was you know, on the scale of a Van Halen show, except instead of selling sixteen, twenty thousand tickets, they sold five. Wow. You know, um, in in an arena, but- right. Yeah, but the, you know, the people behind them saw it and knew it, and yeah. it was going to take time. You know, we just, unfortunately, I, you know, we, we were probably at the tail end of the first third of that tour of America. If we were in the last th- third, we oh. probably would have made a fortune. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. Um, it was just, you know, that album to, to this day, that album, I mean, you talk about songwriting, you know. Yeah. Eight songs and every one is a hit, in yeah. my book anyway, yeah. you know, yeah. in my book.
1: Yeah
0: that that, um, that that album went uh you know was, was being spun yeah. Uh, for, by DJs for uh, for years. Uh, there's no. Yeah, I mean,
3: I mean, I don't know how they feel about "You Shook Me All Night Long" being one of the biggest wedding songs of all time. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably not what they had in mind, but uh, but but that is the case.
0: <laughs> it is the case. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's um. It, it's a funny band. Uh, you know. It's um. Yeah. Uh, it's you know. You you said eight songs, all hits. Eight songs that basically all sound the same, all hits. You know, it has that same yep. drive. Oh, I, yep. I think there may be three keys that they work in, and <laughs> uh, you know, and 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 maybe five chords total. But uh, yep. but man, that's a formula that just keeps on giving uh, uh, to this very day. I can't believe yep. though that they carried around a fully. Formed a uh, fully formed, yeah, they did, but only four, for one yeah. tour, yeah, yeah. Only and then they for changed it, tour. they changed it, I yeah, think you say. In the yeah, book, yeah, they too, had uh, so uh,
3: many problems <laughs> with it that, um, yeah, they made a fiberglass copy. Of the next, course, yeah. you're
0: gonna have problems with it, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's a funny story. I,
3: you know, I, I did a lot, a lot of research for this book, and. I came across interesting people and I actually tracked down the guy who made the case for the bell. Oh, no, they're not fortunate. The guy who made the case for the bell. Uh And you know, he, he was like, they're, they're very proud of that. They're on their web. It's on their website. I forget what uh, his name uh, is. Kane. And uh, anyway, it, it, what they did with the bell was when it was uh, they were building the case for it, and they had it in the shop. They used to run the forklift into the bell to sound lunchtime for everybody. It you know? yeah. was uh, uh, um, uh, uh, just an interesting uh, little story.
0: That's crazy. That's again. It's all rock and roll. So, yeah,
3: it's all uh, rock and roll.
0: But uh, uh, to continue uh, the weight of our conversation, there's another yeah. great story in the book that uh, that I found really interesting. Because as soon as you mention it, I know exactly who it is. You in the book don't uh, as you're going through this. Really? Uh, oh, I'm a I'm a big Lou Reed fan, so uh, you know, rock and roll animal is uh, high right. on my list. And you're and, and right. the story is about moving a grand piano uh, from Manhattan uh, to to Boston. Dick Wagner. Yeah.
3: Guitarist extraordinaire. At the time, I had no idea who he was other than he was. Uh, you were just told, he, uh, go
0: pick up a piano and move it, right?
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm not going to get into the detail of that whole extravaganza. <laughs> I think you read, read about it in yeah, the
1: book. Yeah,
3: it's better read because it, it, it's, it's a calamity. It's the Three Stooges. It's, it's that kind of thing. But but the, the beauty of it was at the end of the day, I actually wrote the whole story about the, the catastrophe of trying to move this piano. But then I said to myself, I said, who was Dick Wagner? And again, it comes back to, you know, the research in this book was half the fun. Yeah. You know, yeah. I did my own rock and roll archaeology or stuff that I needed to fill in blanks oh, for, course, you, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, to find out that Dick Wagner was uh, with uh, Steve, oh my God, I forget his name, you'll remember. What was what his counterpart's name? Steve, oh, Steve uh, Hunter. Steve Hunter. Yeah, Steve Hunter. Mm-hmm. About the two of them did the intro to Sweet Jane on oh, the live God, version. God. That mm-hmm. I, oh my God, that I, I, that song when they when they edit that version on radio, it kills me. It's oh, like the best and they don't have the song. whole
0: opening of the song. Yeah, right?
3: yeah, 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 yeah. They yeah. always used to edit that out and just play. You know where where the singing comes in. It used to drive me crazy. Or where the riff comes in. You know. Yeah. Um, but to find out that he was that guitarist. To find out that he and Steve did. the those little breaks in Train Kept a rolling by Aerosmith, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, or the work they, and, did, they
0: did with Alice, uh, Alice Cooper. And with Alice uh, Cooper, and, you know? You know that Bob Edith Edith wrote, Welcome only to My Nightmare,
3: bleed. and Only Will Be yeah. believed. right,
1: right. Uh, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, you know, and you say, wow, you know, this guy, this guy had this whole career I didn't know about, as well as working with Tim Curry, Dr. Frankenfurter, you Right, know? right. And, uh, you know, and then to find out that he, you know, started this whole charity for kids and stuff. And he had, you know, and he had ended up having a sad life, lots of ailments and, and died in, I think, his early seventies, you know, and stuff. But, uh, but it was fascinating to find out about his life. Um, the life of this guy that you know, I had, had had an encounter with when I was in my 20s and, and had proved to be a very nice guy then at the end of it all. Uh, um, you know, again, it was, it was a catastrophe, uh, but he, he rode well with it instead of uh, he could have been all over me, and uh, he did not. So yeah. I thank him for that. I thank I, him for that. It,
0: it, it's worth buying the book just to read that chapter. That's, uh, that's good. A, that's you like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad yeah, to hear yeah, that. Yeah. Well it was written, a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So so now, you know, you you ran into a lot of baby bands uh, that were uh, Mm -hmm. trying their best to, to make it. So who who did you run into back when you were working that never made it but should have? Who do you think back on and say, ooh, that's that's a band that really should have done this? That's a
3: tough question. You know, not a baby band as much, but the the band that made it to the Calderon, I was always a big Grand Parker fan. And he never made the leap, you know. Uh, He never made the leap to big times. I really liked him. But there weren't, you know. At the time, if there was anybody on the road, you know, and I met them uh, and they came, you know, came my way, if they didn't go to the next level, they probably didn't really deserve to at that point. You know, I can't say that there's anybody. Oh, these people really everybody missed these guys. These guys were great. I really can't say that. You know, I really can't say that. You know, most of them. the, the great
0: the great filter worked. Those that made it deserved to make it.
3: You know, that's not to say how many did I never hear that were great and were sure. passed upon, sure. you know, but but quite honestly, yeah, you know, I mean, there were a lot of crappy opening acts in my estimation, you know, um, well, they may have been great musicians, they didn't have great songs or they didn't have great stage presence, you know, because again, you know, it's all package. you know, it, it, it's difficult to only have one of the elements and break big, you know, um, yeah. at least it was then. Um, oh, oh,
0: I agree. You, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, you can prepackage that, uh, and, uh, you know, in this day, uh, that is possible, you know, especially, you know, as things became more professional, uh, you know, you could, you, you as a producer could go out and get, okay, this guy, this guy, this guy, and that guy. And right. here you go. Um, you know, but the, you know, back in the day, these, you know, you, you were literally, you know, high school guys that were trying to come up and, uh, get out of, uh, Uh, you know, a bad part of town or just get out of Iowa or what have you. or Get out out of the folks'
3: garage, you know. Yeah, get out
0: of the folks' garage. So, all right. So what is your favorite album of all time?
3: Ah, my favorite album of all time. As much as I was a tall head, I'd probably fall back on Sticky Fingers by the Stones. That's probably my, my favorite album of all time. The, that's know, the Desert uh,
0: Island album. If you were only allowed one. That's
3: yeah, if I was only allowed and I stuck one album. You know, stylistically, it goes all over the place. Um, uh, uh, Can't You Hear Me Knocking? Just has a great jam at the end. You know, between uh, Brown Sugar and Bitch, you got your straight-ahead rockers. Uh, Moonlight Miles for your mood, and Morphine will just get you really in a bad place. <laughs> it's kind of like all over the place emotionally, stylistically, and it's the Stones. And it's the stones, you know.
0: Well, uh, that leads me to my next subject, and that is your 50th birthday in Turks and Caicos, uh, Parrot Bay.
3: Yeah, the thing that got me all started on this adventure to begin with. Is, it, yeah. is this the yeah. thing
0: that got Because let, let me tell you, that is definitely a Wizard of Oz moment
3: yeah it was for us too it was for us too (laughs) where do you want me to start
0: (laughs) (laughs) so uh, you're 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 going now now your wife pam is still in the business right
3: you know she was until about three years ago and she sort of and not she she went to morgan stanley and she is now a financial advisor um, and a number of her clients are entertainers. So she kind of made this leap. You know, it, it's funny how life goes. It's a journey, right? You know? Mm. And, um, you know, certain people over at Morgan Stanley said, wow, you really should come into our business because you really know that business. And, uh, and that's what happened. And that's what happened. And she's loving it. It's great. And, and it's very interesting because she works with a number of new artists who are starting to make money and they don't really know what to do with it or how to handle it or, you know, oh. Well, more, it's just,
0: it comes with the territory. Usually, if you're that kind of artist, you don't know how to do anything with it.
3: That's but, right. That's yeah, It's the yeah, last so, thing yeah. you want to deal with, oh, you know? Course, yeah. And you've heard the stories of the Stephen Tyler's and everybody else pissing it away, yeah. Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. So don't make so, the same uh, mistake. Right, right,
1: right. Yeah, right. you know?
3: So she she actually made a transition about five years ago. Up, uh, you know, she stayed in the business. Uh, she was in management for a long time and then in music publishing um, with a guy named Rick Wake, and they had a great company that worked with... Uh, 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 more of the diva style, uh, uh, pop, uh, music, you know, Celine Dion stuff, uh, had some hits with Lo and, uh, uh, people like that, uh, Mariah Carey, you know, big names, big yeah, names and big yeah, hits. Yeah. yeah.
0: But in 2008, she was still in the business and yep. you guys, is it, it, it's your 50th birthday and you guys go to parrot Bay. Uh, did you do that on purpose or, 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 no, or I, no, no, so no. My just,
3: wife likes to go to nice places. Uh, so for my 50th birthday. <laughs> I know, I know this goes, one,
0: right, right.
3: <laughs> she yeah. books Parrot K. Thank God for them, otherwise
0: I wouldn't go anywhere. Thank, so I, 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 I fuck no, you're yeah, absolutely let's go. Right. Right, right.
3: You're absolutely right. right. Just tell me when and where I gotta yeah. be. I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm all in, you know. <laughs> so she books us a vacation on Parrot K. And for those who don't know, Parrot K. Is part of the Turks and Caicos Islands, but it's a very private island. The island has one resort, which is very, um, it's very zenish and very health conscious. You know, uh, uh, it's got a you know great spa, world renowned, and all of that kind of thing. And then there's a, you know I don't know ten a dozen private houses on the island. You know. Um, should I tell the story? <laughs> yeah, tell the <a> story. <laughs> so so she books a vacation, um, and I'm like, okay, crap, what's this going to cost me, yada, yada, you know, that kind of thing. But but it's wonderful. It's a sunny climate, and I'm getting out of New York in March, and that's a wonderful thing. So we get to Turks and Caicos, and we take the we take a private launch, which ends up taking us over to the Paracay, the island. And, you know, we see a couple of houses off to the side before, and we're like, well, that's really nice. That's the Lake of you know, big bungalow type beach houses, that kind of thing. And we go to the, uh, you know, we check in and we do all that. We have dinner. We're a little tired. It was the first night we we're there. And it's like 10 o'clock and we're like, let's go. Let's go have a nightcap. So, uh, you know, we take a stroll over to the Tiki Hut and there's, you know, one guy, the old guy, looks like a seaman sitting there with a dog and another couple on the other side of the bar. So I, I'm a dog guy, so we walk in, I go down to pet the, go- the dog, it's a Golden Lab, beautiful Golden Lab, yeah. and from above me I hear the voice, she's a great old pumpkin, my girl, isn't she? And I look up, and it's fucking Keith Richards. <laughs> okay? Totally decked out in, not pirate garb, but
2: looking like a pirate. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Looking
3: like a pirate. I look up at Tam, my wife. She looks down at me and we're like, holy shit. We're in for a ride. You know? And purely by coincidence, you know, my wife was still in the business, knew lots of people. She planned to go to Parakey, but neither of us had even any idea that he had a house there and which he did. So he's sitting on the bar stool, we just close you right up, Pam brings up the stool. I get down for the next three, four hours. We're just hanging around, shooting the shit with Keith Richards, drinking, getting crazy. It was it was still t- eleven years later telling you about it. It's surreal. It's surreal. You you got to
0: ask him pretty much anything you wanted to and he just didn't blink an eye, answered. Oh
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well we were we were people. He wasn't a rock star.
0: Yeah. He wasn't a rock
3: star, not that night, you know. He was just he just wanted to talk to people. He was all by himself. I don't know if he was on the island by himself that day, but he was at the bar by himself. And uh, we just talked about the world. You know, we talked about music, too. But, you know, what crazy thing. Like, I go, I, I go to, uh, you know, uh, go to take a pee at one point, and I come back, and he's got his wife around, my, my wife Pam. He's got his arm all around her. You know, not, not in a bad way, you know, sort of like comforting her. And I hear him saying, Pam, she must have been bitching about her father. My wife's Greek, and she comes from a very patriarchal Greek family. Mm-hmm. And she's constantly feeling downtrodden by, you know, the males in the family. And, and rightfully so. I'm not yeah. poo pooing that, you know. But so she must have been telling Keith about that. And you talk about talking, not talking about music. We're talking about like real stuff, and you know, we're like old buddies. And he's going, Pam, Pam, don't be so hard on the old man. You're not gonna, you know, you know, any day now he could be gone you know, so, you know, cherish it, cherish it. He goes, you know, I just, I recently lost my own mom. You know, she was, I don't know, Doris, she was like in her eighties or something. And, you know, and she was in the hospital and, and, and I went to visit her every day when she was in the hospital. And one day I went to play her a song and I play her the song and I look at her and I go, mom, what did you think? And my mom looks at me and goes, Nice, Keith, but I think
0: you're out of tune.
1: Well, that, that could be
0: said many nights on a Stones tour. Yeah, so. yeah, that could be said many nights. You only play with five strings to begin with, right? <laughs> right,
1: you know? right, right, right,
3: right. <laughs> you know, oh, but it was yeah. a whole evening of, you know, crazy stuff like that. You know, I mean, at one point... At one point, I had the line of the night, the line of the night, though, was I asked him how old he is. And, and I guess at the time he was, I don't know, 10 years ago. So what is that? You, you 60, do the math, 60, you know, 70, 60, um, yeah, 60, whatever is where he goes, he goes, uh, 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 um, he goes, you know, you know, the secret to life, alcohol, cocaine, heroin, They're all fine for you, mate. It's the cheese that'll kill you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and of (laughs) course, there's, you know, uh, we've talked a little bit about this. uh, You know, Mick Jagger's uh, had his health issues recently. uh, uh, Valve uh, replacement surgery went great, according to the papers. uh, And, uh, you know, we wish him get up there and get back on the stage. But here's a guy who's like the picture of health, uh, you know uh, has sworn all that stuff off years ago, except yeah. for the women. Except for the women, and then uh, ironic, uh, He's right? still he's still having babies, uh, and uh, yeah, and, and and then there's Keith, who's like, you know, uh, he's the one that he's the one that has the heart surgery. Come on, you know, but uh, yeah, yeah. Well, just, you know,
3: they call you Keith; know. we call him the cockroach. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, can't kill him. Yeah. He can't kill himself, and nothing else can. You know, yeah. well, but but I got to tell you, it was surreal. He was a, such a pleasure. We had such a phenomenal. Time, even if he wasn't Keith Richards, kind of, quite honestly, and and I feel I can say that in all honesty, he was just a fun a cool bloke dude. to hang with.
1: Yeah,
3: you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, just a fun bloke to hang with, yeah. you know. And uh, even to the point, I mean, he, he started singing to the bartender, and I had to join him because I said, "How many people in this world yeah, can say they hung with Keith with Richards?" Like, right, right,
0: right. You, know? you got the and silver. And is that what, is that what you? Know, no, <laughs> no,
3: it was Roy Orbison. It was Roy Orbison. I think it was, you know. <laughs> But uh, I a wish you got the silver. A yeah. great
0: memory, a great memory. Uh, gosh, um, uh, hopefully one day uh, uh, I'll, I'll get a chance to sit down and have a chat with uh, with uh, the man uh, himself. Let's face it, uh, he has had more to do with rock and roll than just about
3: anybody Oh, else, yeah. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. As right. I said to my wife, there's anybody I could meet and hang with. He would have been the guy. So we got lucky
0: well like you said your favorite album sticky fingers so it was meant yep. to, it was meant to be all right one last story I got to ask you about because uh, this 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 concert means uh, a ton uh, to me and you were lucky enough to actually be a, a part of it uh, in some way and that is the wall uh, concert, yep. 1980, Pink Floyd, and uh, <laughs> you got to be the driver for the guys. Uh, for no, the, the, I the, did the, not.
3: That was my buddy Brian. That was my buddy Brian. We uh, when we went to business, I had a buddy Brian who worked for Ron Belzner. I worked for Free Fall and Mark Puma. He worked for Ron Belzner, and uh, he got. I ran a tickettron machine and pulled fourth row tickets for myself and my wife. Uh, On my birthday. So that was quite a birthday, to be in fourth row of the wall. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, 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 yeah. But Brian... Who I'm still friendly with uh, actually had to drive the band back and forth from uh, Mitchell Ooh. Field on Long Island oh, where the helicopter know. was supposed to come in. Too. I, mis- I um, misread
0: that. I misread that. Oh, yeah, okay. no, no. Oh, I thought okay. that was you. I was like, holy shit,
1: that's. Uh...
3: Yeah, no, <laughs> I wish that was me. Yeah. I wish that was me, but that was him, you know. And yeah. we all we we trade stories all the time, but uh, but yeah, he had to drive them back and forth, and uh, that's quite a funny story too. He uh, you know uh, 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 earned the wrath. Of, of, uh, of Roger, uh, uh, Roger Waters and uh, and uh, got night. Roger back yeah. for it on the first <laughs> night and got Roger back for it on the on the last night and uh, lived to tell the tale, you know, as they say. Um, but uh, no, the wall. I mean, it, it's uh, the wall was just you know probably the single best rock concert i ever saw even to this day you know um it was just so not just the spectacle it was just so original it was it was you know to come out and play only one album from start to finish was incredible to begin with and then to to actually construct this wall and all the other things that went around uh, uh with its construction in the show was just uh, just mind-blowing. Just mind-blowing. And, uh, you know, I wish somebody would do something like that again.
0: Well, we'll leave uh, the diggers to dive deeper uh, into uh, your book uh, and uh, babysitting a ban on the rocks and other adventures. Um, Greg Petorius, thanks so much for being with us on Deeper Digs and Rock today.
3: Yeah, what a pleasure. I love talking about this stuff, so...
0: Keith's story is just insane. What a lucky guy. All right, go out and grab a copy of G.D. Pretorius' book, Babysitting a Band on the Rocks and Other Adventures. We'll skip all the names of the bands that we just talked about. Right now, it can be found only at Looney Tunes Comics in West Babylon, New York, or online at ltcds.com. Thank you, Greg, for sharing all those personal stories, and thank you for keeping the rock and roll alive in your very own soul, Uh, even if you have the black heart of a banker now. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Seriously, though, uh, back in the day, we rock and rollers were the outsiders. It was not the mainstream, and we were fighting against the establishment, and the establishment more than once tried to snuff it out. Uh, Think of all the moral panic episodes we've talked about. Uh, both on this show and our sister podcast rock and roll archaeology Uh, that was the charm of the art form it was unabashed freedom the ability to say fuck off i'll do what i want uh to the proverbial man it was radically libertine at first and therefore mostly built on male fantasy and then slowly evolved as the feminine kicked the doors in sure It was first about presenting modern notions of sexuality to the masses, but at the same time, other radical thinking came to play. Uh, Some eras and genres were better than others, but as a whole, the rock and roll period was radical, and that created devoted passion. That is why there is still cachet in it. Rock and roll informed several generations that said, no, we don't have to live with Victorian or even patriarchal values. We can live in a new way. And that's the world we live in today, where a respected banker can also be a devoted rocker. Eh, let's keep it that way. Long live rock and roll. Okay, diggers, I am the rock and roll archaeologist. Keep up the rockin'. Folks like Radiohead, Coldplay, Pearl Jam, DJ Shadow, and many, many more have encouraged their fans to join the effort. You can too. Go to
2: OxfamAmerica.org to learn how you can help. Deeper Digs in rock, produced and hosted by Kristen Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. at R&R Archaeology.